Oh, there we go. You're awake, are you? Oh, there you are. That's good. Um, right, we'll just pop up a uh, PowerPoint. Excellent. Thank you very much. Just sort of take a few moments to say a uh, few words about this passage. This wasn't. I thought you were coming to take over. I was just coming over to say, you're doing it wrong. This is how you do it. Um, I just wanted to say a few words about this Bible passage. This wasn't what I was intending to share with you. And as I was praying earlier this week, this felt important. So hopefully it is. Um, During lockdown, when it began, uh, it's been such a nuisance, this lockdown thing, hasn't it? Um, But um, when it began, we had some prayer times in our ministers across the Eastern Baptist Association. And one of the things we did as we prayed, we then said, well, okay, let's listen and see what God is saying to us. And um, the ministers then shared various things and we collated it all. But one of the phrases that really struck me was this one that's up here on the screen. The things that we've always known are being brought into sharper focus. The things we've always always known are being brought into sharper focus. And um, it really struck me the way that God... Through lockdown, I think, has been, and I don't believe that God caused coronavirus, or has, I don't think this has anything to do with God, but I think in it, God is at work. And I think God is reminding us of some things that are important. And if you want to read about that, I won't go into that now because I haven't got time. On the Eastern Baptist Association website, there's a document, if you go to the bottom, about uh, what is God saying to us at this time. And there were five areas around discipleship. And I think God is saying to his church, actually... You're here to make disciples. You're not here to run really snazzy and great churches. You're here to make disciples. And is, does the way you run and do church serve making disciples? Or is it, has it actually been getting in the way? So there's a provocative question. You can go and read about that and talk about that <coughs> uh, later on. This passage is completely about having our eyes open by God. What does God want us to see? Elisha can see where the Arameans are. And it's just incredible. The king of Aramis, who is this spy? Who knows where I'm going to be? And Elisha is acknowledged as a prophet. People know that Elisha is someone who can hear from God. And when the king, the tables are turned and the king finds out where Elisha is going to be in Dothan. And so he sends his army or a large part of his army to go and capture Elisha. And now Dothan was 11 miles from the capital of Samaria. And this shows just how much military dominance that the Arameans have. Uh, if Earl's Khan was the capital of the universe, which it probably is, uh, this would be like uh, the enemy force coming into Colchester. And you'd be thinking, gosh, they're a bit near, aren't they? You know? And they were completely dominant over Israel uh, and could just do whatever they liked. And this is where Elisha was. And so he and his servant are there. It was a happy little noise. Beth's phone's just chirped at me. There we go. It was that I get on with it. Yeah, probably. Let's think about having our eyes open. Would you read a book like this? It'd be absurd, wouldn't it, to put a blindfold on to read a book? Or how about if you were out on your bike, riding, actually? That's not going to work for most of us, isn't it? How about if we were having a gentle stroll in the countryside and we came to this fork, this parting of ways? Particularly if you're on a bike, this is significant. Because if you're on a bike and you spend a couple of hours going in the wrong direction, it's going to be bad, isn't it? What do we do when we don't know the way? Well, we might look at a map. We might phone a friend. There's all sorts of things we wouldn't do. What you wouldn't do consistently, and actually this is probably in my nature. I think, oh, I think it's probably that way. I'll go that way. Uh, but you wouldn't do it for very long, and particularly not on a bike where you found out you go miles and miles in the absolutely the wrong direction. 
And if we wouldn't do those things, then the question I have for you this morning is simply this. If you wouldn't read a book with a blindfold on, if you wouldn't blindly travel hundreds of miles not knowing if you were going in the right direction, why would we try and live our lives without seeking God's perspective? When you, and it's kind of, when you put it like that, yeah, that makes sense. But, but yet, we live our lives so often, we make major decisions, and we might say, God, what do you think? And then we go on and we make our decision. But why would we do that without coming to God and saying, God, what is it that you really want? Well, we hear Beth talking about her journey, and we think, oh, yeah, but that's just for ministers, that, that whole God-guiding stuff. No, 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 God is guiding us. God is there. And yet I think often we're like the lady here with the blindfold on stumbling through life. Elisha miraculously knows where the Arameans are, and it must have been absolutely incredible. And I believe that God will reveal stuff to us. Now, I just want to be clear here, there's no guarantee. It's not, it's not like we can come to God and say, God, what the next lottery number is going to be? And that, that would be bad in, on all sorts of levels, and I won't go into that. And God, God won't necessarily show us things at this kind of level. But when we come to God and say, God, will you guide me? He will guide us. He may not show us what's going to happen. He may not reveal great mysteries to us, but he will guide us. He will be with us. I was in a meeting a few months ago in those wonderful days where we could meet with other people. And in these, it wasn't so wonderful, this meeting, because they were actually descending. It was getting pretty close to an argument where there were different people with different opposing points of view saying, I think we should do this, I think we should do that. And it was like watching a game of tennis. And I was sat there, and I was very much in favour of doing what this side wanted to do. And and I was about to join in and say, you lot are being so stupid. I would have been more politely than that. Uh, But they were being stupid. That's another story. And instead of doing that, I paused and I said to God, God, we're in trouble here. What do you want me to say? And the words that came into my mind were, what I would like to do is this. And so, without engaging my brain, which is often a dangerous thing to do, Tracy can tell you about that, I said, well, I would really like to do is this. And all of a sudden, the people who I didn't agree with looked at me and said, that's a really good idea. And the people who signed I was on said, yeah, we think that's a good idea too. And then they all looked at me and said, but now will you go away and do it? And I was like, oh, I don't think so. It's not that hard work. That's another story. That meeting was saved, and actually as an association, we made a decision, and we did something a particular way that we wouldn't have done usually. And the feedback we had from churches about that thing was incredible. And it all came out of a moment of disagreement. Disagreement. Nothing wrong with disagreeing, and in churches we will disagree, won't we? That's, that's okay. But will we come to this point of saying to God... Open our eyes that we might see. Open our eyes that you will show us what it is you want us to do. How do we see the things around us? How do we see our lives? As you think, when you look in the mirror in this morning, are you one of these people who looks in the mirror and says, oh, I'm so amazing and the world is lucky to have me? <laughs> or are you normal? <laughs> or perhaps you look in the mirror and you think, oh, I'm just such a waste of time. When we look in the mirror in the morning, wouldn't it be great if our prayer was, God, would you give me eyes to see how you see me? What I think of me doesn't much matter. It does. It's very significant in all kinds of ways. But what really, really matters is how God sees us. And there's two words I want to give you that I think are important about how God sees us. The first is grace. Because when you think of God and us, 
it's easy to be negative about yourself, isn't it? Because you can't compare to God. The first word is grace. God loves us. And, and that end of. So if you're there thinking, oh, God must really want to beat me around the head because uh, I didn't make the words big enough on the PowerPoint or, oh, no, it all went wrong. Grace, God loves us. But the second word is growth. Growth. God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. God loves us too much. He wants us to grow. He wants us to change. He wants us to become the people who he made us to be. I believe that God has plans and purposes for each of us. He made us to achieve great things. And I think that the world damages us. And part of what we're doing here and what we're doing together and what we're doing in our relationship with God is seeing ourselves being restored. From a place of love, knowing that God loves us, to a place of growth, knowing that he's changing us to be the person who he wants us to be. How about when we're in difficult situations like Elisha? Do we look out and panic? Or do we look to God for his perspective? How about when we look at the church? Do we come to church? And we talked about the, uh, the church meeting that's coming up. Do we come to a church meeting thinking, I'm going to tell them what I think. This is my opinion. This is what I want. Or do we come to a church meeting having prayed and say, well, God, this is actually, what do you want? And the Baptist phrase that we always used to use for church meetings in the olden days, before I was born, actually, they always used to use this phrase in a church meeting, we come to discern the mind of Christ. We don't all come, it's not a democracy, we don't all come to have our say, we come together to prayerfully discern what is it that Jesus is saying to us and how will we go about that. Or as we look at the world, it's so miserable, isn't it, as you watch the news. We look at the world, it's in such a state. And I think we've got to shift our thinking on what prayer is. I think many people, when I hear people pray, I think, gosh, you must think you're God's special advisor. You know, that we come to God and like we tell God what to do. Uh, and God says, oh gosh, I'm glad you said that because I hadn't thought of that. You know, people approach prayer and you hear people praying and they've been very instructive to God. And I think, gosh, you're bonkers. I'm sorry to hear you so blunt about it. I really do. Because I think, well, if God's God and I'm me... And one of us has got to decide what we ought to do next. It's probably, it shouldn't be me, should it? And I'm wondering if we could rediscover what prayer is as a listening exercise. That rather than coming to God and telling him what to do, giving him our opinion, we do that, we pour out our hearts to him. But then we make space to listen to him. Back to the Bible passage. So, what do you expect when you look out the window in the morning? Rain, probably, I expect. What do you expect when you look out the window? Well, it's probably not this, is it? And Elisha's servant looks out the window. And there's an army standing outside. And it must have been absolutely terrifying. It doesn't say he sent two soldiers to get them. He sent the army and there were horses and chariots and all sorts. And what really struck me about this Bible passage when I was preparing this week was this. Elisha would have known the army was coming. And yet he stayed. You find that incredible? And Elijah, his mentor... When the queen threatened him and said, I'm going to send my army to get you, he ran away. He had confidence in God, but he found that overwhelming. And I don't know if there's many of us, whatever great faith we might have, if we knew there was an army coming to get us, and we had advance warning, would we stay where we are? It's okay. I find that absolutely incredible. Elisha knows the army is coming, but he chooses uh, not to run away. Last time I was here... Uh, I talked about these pictures here and asked the question, in which of these pictures is uh, peace found? <clears throat> and we haven't got time to, to hear you shout out again. 
And of course, I've done a very manipulative thing where the pictures at the top are where peace is naturally found, the pictures at the bottom are very stressful. And um, I was reflecting on this piece of scripture. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. In which of the pictures is is peace found? Well, potentially in all of them. Because we receive God's peace as a gift. And Elisha is just overwhelmed with the peace of God. There's this army outside, and the servant is doing the don't panic, Mr. Mannering, and flapping around all over the place. And Elisha is like, it's okay, God's got this, it's fine, don't worry. Will we receive peace as a gift, particularly at this time of anxiety and potential increased lockdown and restrictions? Will we receive peace as a gift? And it's easy to look at the numbers and to think, well, okay, in this area, coronavirus isn't a massive problem. I'd be worried if I was living elsewhere. And that's okay, and we can find comfort in facts. But actually, will we go beyond that to think, well, whatever happens, my confidence is in God who gives me peace. Will we make it our prayer for one another and ourselves? Open our eyes that we might... C. Do we want God's perspective? <coughs> Tracy uh, was uh, going to come and say something quickly. Uh, uh, she's my wife, so if we stand very close, we're allowed. It's okay. Oh, that's nice. There we go. <laughs> Tracy was drawing this picture earlier in the week, and it fitted. Okay. So um, you might not be able to see it very clearly. Um, it's a honey pot full of honey, um, and what God was saying to me was that. Um, I was the honey spoon and I was submerged into the honey. Um, And actually, even though there were bees and wasps and whatever around the outside of the honey pot, they couldn't get me because I was actually in the honey Um, and that God was surrounding me. Um, And there's a song I love that says, it might look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was just really great that God encouraged me to say there might be lots of things out there that you might um, worry about, but actually they can't get to you. They've got to come through me first. So. Oh, she gets a clap. Very good. And quite right too. What does it mean to be surrounded by the presence of God? Well, there you go. Well, how about this picture? You might not be into American football, but the, the person with the ball is the quarterback. And everyone who's wearing a different colour to him is trying to get him. But there's a huge line of people who are big in the way saying, no, you ain't getting past us. What does it mean to be surrounded by God? And often we feel like that person, don't we? I'm in trouble. I feel surrounded. But actually we forget what it is that surrounds us. Well, how about if people were firing arrows at you? That would be a bit terrifying, wouldn't it? But how about these people with their shields all locked together? It might be terrifying to have an arrow coming towards you, but you've got a big shield. Makes a difference, doesn't it? Well, how about space? Space is terrifying, isn't it? Space is lethal. You can't breathe in space. Flags don't ripple in space. Don't get me started on that. But um, actually, in the space suit, when you're surrounded by this protective thing, Things are different, aren't they? What does it mean to be surrounded by God? Now, I need to be clear in what I'm saying. I'm not the sort of Christian who says, trust in God and everything will be okay and you'll always be really rich and you'll never get ill. I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that. You know, you get things like in Acts chapter 6 where Stephen 
who faithfully follows God is stoned to death. Bad things happen to Christians. But we know that God surrounds us. Sometimes he miraculously delivers us and he can. God can do anything. But sometimes he comforts us as we travel through pain. Will we learn and reflect on what it is to be surrounded by God's presence, that he is with us? What are we focusing on? Because when you look at this Bible passage, if you take God out of it, it's an absolute disaster. Absolute disaster. And it makes me wonder why sometimes my life goes wrong when I'm not asking God the right questions, when I'm not listening to him. So let's have a quick thumbs up. There we go, we're nearly finished. That's worth a thumbs up, isn't it? Thumbs up. I want you to hold out, and I love doing this exercise because it makes, makes me feel really affirmed. Um, just hold your thumb like that. And I want you, what you to do now is move your thumb towards your face, towards your eye. Don't poke yourself in the eye, obviously, but uh, I'll get sued. Just move your thumb right and close to one eye. Close the other eye and think about what you can see. Now move your thumb away from you again and think about what you can see. And move it towards you again and think about what you can see. Now I want you to imagine that your thumb represents your problems. When I hold my thumb out there, my problems don't stop me seeing you lot. When I hold my thumb like this and close that eye, I can't see anything. What do we do with our problems? Do we hold them close so we can, and they blot everything out? And this is the difference between Elijah and Elijah. Elisha. Elijah had a problem. He was being threatened. And he went like this. I'm being threatened. Run away. Elisha was, they come to get me. But that's okay. Because God's, God's got me. So it's all right. It's okay. God is telling me to stay. What do we do? What do we hold closer? And it's really a significant question for Christians. What do we pay more attention to? Our problems or God? We need to be fully aware of our problems. I'm not saying we should hide from them, but actually it's God who should be central. It's God who we should be looking to. Or to put it in a different way, thinking about what are we trusting in. Would you stand on this rock? I, I would really struggle to stand on the rock, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce the name of it, or you can read it on the screen. And it's in Norway. And that boulder is completely solid. But it's over a 984 metre deep abyss. And I would really struggle to stand on it. I'm not good with heights. It's solid. It's a sure foundation, but it doesn't look it. And isn't that a picture of what life often feels like? Life is difficult. Life is difficult for me in all kinds of ways at the moment. It doesn't feel safe and secure. But God is my rock. He is the one that I'm standing on. Will we put our trust in him? And so coming to the end, Elisha deals with the army that's come to arrest them. And the thing that I find really overwhelming about this passage is he looks around and he sees all these angelic armies around the hills. And, and they're like extras. They don't get to do anything. And I think if I had an angelic army, I'd want to see what they could do. You think, well, they've turned up, haven't they? We may as well give them a part. So come on, angelic armies, deal with the bad guys. And Elisha almost ignores them. He's not interested in them. He's only interested in God. Only interested in God. And I find that really challenging. I trust in all sorts of things. But even when I'm in a place of strength, will I still put my ultimate confidence in God? God strikes uh, the army of God. Uh, yeah, God does, because Elisha calls them, strikes the army uh, blind. Absolutely amazing. And so the simple question as we close 
is uh, will we make time to listen to God? This is Tracy and I on holiday. It turned out to be quite an amazing photograph. And what was particularly ironic about this photograph is what we're looking at in my phone screen is I'm saying to her, look, this is how I can take a picture through my camera on that tripod using my phone screen. And that was it. It was just, it was just showing her how it was going to work. And it took me, um, I've owned that camera for three or four years. I didn't know it could do that. And because we happened to be on holiday without children, and we didn't really know what to do with ourselves. We went for some walks and we watched some TV. And uh, I, I learned what my camera could do. And I thought, oh gosh, isn't that clever? Uh, a week or two ago, I needed to do it again. And I got my phone out, and I got the camera out, and I couldn't remember. I was completely, well, how does that work? And that leaves me with my parting challenge to myself, and perhaps to you too. I might know what it is to experience God's guidance and direction. But a lot of the time I don't. And so like this person playing the piano, will I practice? Will I practice the presence of God? Will I learn to be more consistent in saying to God, God, will you show me what it is you're leading me into? Will you show us what it is you have for us? That my default position when I want to know something isn't to Google it, it's to Godle it. God, help us as we travel through life to open our eyes, to see what we can see through our eyes, to be aware of our surroundings. But help us ultimately to look to you, to trust in you, to let you lead us, to receive all that you have for us. God, I'm sorry that sometimes I try and live my life without you. You know I don't do it intentionally. Would you help us to practice the presence of God and to rely on and to listen to you more consistently? Amen.